Our scripture reading this morning will come from Luke, the 24th chapter, and we'll start with verse 33. Um, This actually wasn't the passage that I I planned on preaching on this Sunday. I like to... um, I don't always I, I don't always use the lectionary, but I do like to make myself a uh, a schedule of things I'm going to preach, and I like to preach through a gospel, um, uh, you know, winter and into the spring, and um, and I have planned on preaching on the ascension, Jesus being uh, being exalted up into heaven this week, and um, as I was preparing for that sermon, this other story, this other passage kind of got its hooks in me. Um, and I, I just had kind of one of those, I had to make a decision because I knew that if I, if, if I went past this passage and tried to think about this other one, then, um, then, then, uh, then this one would be tapping on my shoulder all week and, uh, and saying, look at me, look at me. And um, I just, I can't help it um, much like my wife, Crystal, I'm attracted to weird ones. And um, I, was, uh, I was looking at this passage, and it was just, just so strange. And uh, it, it's, about, it's about the disciples thinking Jesus is a ghost, and Jesus eating a piece of fish to prove to the disciples he's not a ghost. And I just... I couldn't help it. It's just so weird, so strange. And I know that if you take one of those passages and you wrestle with it all week, then they usually um, they usually have something profound hidden in there. And so I just messed up the plan and and chased after this passage because I knew I wouldn't be able to concentrate on anything else if I if I didn't. So um, Luke, the twenty fourth chapter, starting with verse thirty three. Hear now the word of our Lord. They got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood up among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet, it is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of God. 
May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Weird story, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's kind of gaggy all. It's got doubting disciples. It's got some teaching by Jesus. It's got, um, you know, a, a ghost story in there. Um, it's just such a weird little story. And it's one we kind of skip by, don't we? You know, um, we, we have these major marks that we like to hit every year. You know, Christmas, Easter Sunday. Pentecost Sunday, Palm Sunday. There's no Jesus eating a fish to prove he's not a ghost Sunday, right? That's just one that, uh, a mark that we're not, you know, we don't make sure we hit. You don't see it in a lot of children's Bibles or acted out by cartoon vegetables. It's just kind of a weird little story, isn't it? What's it about? What's going on? I think to get to uh, what it's about, I think you first have to kind of talk about what's going on. So we've got these two disciples that we talked about last week, that uh, they were walking with Jesus, they were in the presence of Jesus the whole time on the way to Emmaus and didn't know it. And then, um, then Jesus breaks the bread and suddenly their eyes are open. They realize they're in the presence of the resurrected Christ. And as soon as they find this out and Jesus disappears, they rush to Jerusalem to go tell the others, to go tell the 11. We've just, we've just had this Jesus experience. We've seen Jesus. And so they're excited. And when they get to where the 11 are hanging out, they find out that they've just had their own resurrection experience. You know, they're getting ready to get out their good news. And, and the 11 tell them, Simon just saw Jesus. It's true. He is risen. They're believers now. It's true. He has risen. They are Easter Christians now. They are professing a bodily resurrected Christ. It's true, just as the women have said, Jesus is risen. They've reached, they've reached a newfound faith, and now they are boldly professing it for all of five minutes. And then Jesus shows up and spooks them. Right? He just walks through a wall and says, Shalom. And they, you know, um, a second ago they were all, Oh, he's risen. He's risen. Now, ah, it's a ghost. Right? Now they think he's a ghost. Five minutes have passed and they're doubting their experience. Right? They, 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 had, just, they had just professed a resurrected Christ and now they're saying, No, it's not quite what it seems. He's still dead. Our, our eyes are playing tricks on us. This must be some vision, some vapor, some shadow, some apparition. This must be a ghost. And Jesus looks at them and says, Why are you troubled? Why are doubts arising in your minds? And that's what I think this passage is about. It's about doubt. It's about the disciples, you know, one minute they're excited, one minute they have certainty, one minute they're, they're Easter Christians, they're professing a resurrected Christ. The next minute they have questions. They're afraid 
of ghosts. I can't remember who said it first, but, um, but, but, but there's this saying that the disciples in the Bible are just like us, only more so. And I think that's true. You, whenever we see how the disciples react to Jesus, we kind of see a picture of ourselves, don't we? We can be Easter Christians one minute and afraid of ghosts the next. All of us, everyone in this room has had questions and doubts at one time or another. Our minds have been troubled at one time or another. Some of our doubts may be these deep theological doubts, like, does God exist? Or um, if God is good, why do bad things happen? Those big theological doubts people have been wrestling with for thousands of years. For some of us, our doubts are more biblical. You know, is scripture reliable? How about the resurrection, the virgin birth? Or, or um, how about this, this, this picture of God we see in the book of Joshua? And how does that match up with the picture of God we see in the Gospels? Right? And then some of our doubts are much more personal. I know, Ellie. <laughs> some of our doubts are much more personal personal. They're, they're these, um, am I really saved? Am I really forgiven for that thing? Am I really loved by God? Those kinds of doubts. But the whole point is we all have them. Lost my place. See, the disciples are just like us. It can turn on a dime. We can turn on a dime. We can be resurrection Christians one minute, doubting disciples the next. Um, when I was a kid, I had all of these, uh, these little, um, little books of, of comic strips like Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield and, um, and the Peanuts. And I used, to, I used to love to read those. And one of my favorite comic strip characters, the one that I identified with the most, was Charlie Brown. Because Charlie Brown felt just like me. Like the, the, this, the, this kid that never just felt like he did anything right. And uh, he had trouble talking to girls and, you know, all, all those kinds of, of, of things. And, and the strips I really identified with were the ones where um, he was trying to go to sleep. He was in bed at night, but he was tossing and turning because he, he was thinking of things. And, and he was anxious. And in one of these strips, he's, he, he's, he's tossing and turning, and he can't quite get to sleep. And, uh, and he's thinking about all the things he's anxious about. He's got a test in the morning. And then he starts being anxious about the fact that he's anxious right? He, he starts, um, oh no, I'm going to be up all night worrying and then, um, and then I, I'm, I'm not going to get a wink of sleep and I'm going to do terrible on this test. And finally he says, even my anxieties have anxiety. Have you ever felt like that? Even my anxieties have anxiety. I think sometimes in the church, 
even our doubts have doubt. Right? It's not enough to have these big questions. We also have this whole layer of anxiety about them. Like, like if I speak these questions out loud, what will happen? If I, if I pick at this thread, will the whole thing unravel? We have all of these anxieties we built up around our doubts. Now, if I, if I talk openly about this in Sunday school, will I suddenly find myself on the outside looking in? Will I suddenly be excommunicated from my Sunday school class? Or, um, or, or if, if, if I ask these questions and think about these questions and, and, and research these questions, will my faith become undone? And my faith is so important to me, and, 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 and I, I don't want to lose it. Or if I even think these things, if these things are even passing through my mind, does that make me a bad Christian? Is Jesus angry with me? See, even our doubts have doubts sometime. We have, it's not the question so much as, as all of this pressure we put around the questions. And here's the amazing thing I see in this passage. Jesus is the one doing all the talking. Notice this. The disciples are, are sitting there and they're thinking these things. They're thinking, oh no, it's a ghost. They're thinking, I don't know if, if I can trust my eyes. But Jesus is the one who is speaking. And Jesus is the one who is engaging with their doubts. He is the one that names it. You think I'm a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. Look at my hands and my feet. This week, um, uh, all of the Methodist pastors had to uh, go to a meeting where we learned about sexual ethics. And one of the things they taught us um, was something uh, called body autonomy. And that's basically a fancy way of saying don't hug someone that doesn't want to be hugged or massage someone that doesn't want to be massaged, right? Just, you know, keep your hands to yourself. Um, Kuga saved me a day if we just, you know, showed up and, uh, and signed a piece of paper that says I will keep my hands to myself. But uh, that's, that's not how we do it. Anyways, <laughs> Jesus was inviting the disciples to invade his body autonomy. He was saying, touch and see. See that I am not a ghost. He, he invited the disciples to poke and prod him a little bit, to test him out. He was inviting the disciples' doubts, come to me, test me, see me. And then when they were still, they still weren't sure. Yes, I mean, he's, yeah. They still weren't sure. Jesus is the one that comes up with this whole idea about the fish. He says, do you have anything to eat? Bring me something, I'll show you. He seems almost excited, almost giddy, right? Check this out, guys. Bring me a piece of fish. Then he eats the fish for him to show off a little bit. See, I'm not a ghost. Strange, weird, isn't it? What's going on here? What's Jesus after? Why is he engaging with the disciples' doubts? When our instinct is to say, 
Don't talk about that. No, 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 don't bring that here. But Jesus says, bring me your fish. Touch me, see. That's what I think's going on. He has to go through that to get to the other thing. Because the very next thing that happens, it says Jesus opens their minds to the scriptures. See, there's deeper understanding waiting on the other side of doubt. He opens their minds to the scripture. And then he says, he says, you all are going to be my witnesses to these things. The powerful experience of Jesus that we encounter in our season of doubt. You're going to be the witness to these things. And then you're going to be clothed with, with power from on high. See, there, there's, there's a deeper understanding of Jesus that comes with doubt, that comes from going through that season. And sometimes we have to go through the doubt to get to what's on the other side. A deeper, more mature faith. A greater intimacy with Jesus. A lot of times we think of doubt and we think of it like, like as a whole. Right? You're walking along the, the path of faith and whoop, you fall into a hole. And, and, and what you need to do when you fall in this hole is just climb out of it as quickly as you can. Right? You don't want to get stuck down there. The worst thing you could do is like to keep digging, right, in that hole. And if you just keep asking those questions and digging and digging, then, then, then who knows how far down you'll go and how deep you'll wind up until, you know, all is darkness and you've lost that point of light up there and, and you're forever gone. And, and so, so the way we, we Christians sometimes, we just like, we hop out of that hole, we cover it up, and then we just like make sure no one else sees the hole. Right? Move along. Nothing to see here, folks. We pretend it isn't right there. But what if doubt is less like a hole and more like a tunnel? What if it's something we have to pass through to get to what's on the other side? And what if all our fear and all our anxiety about it is keeping us from, from experiencing the more mature, deeper faith that is on the other side of that tunnel? Yes, it's scary to pass through. Yes, it's dark. Yes, hold your breath and say a prayer. But you have to pass through that tunnel. The tunnel won't just pass through you. You have to move forward and trust and end faith. Because if you always have certainty about everything, you don't need faith, do you? And a tunnel that you're, you're too afraid to go inside of might as well be a wall. So we have to pass through to get to what's on the other side. And so Jesus says, bring me your fish. Bring me your questions. Touch me. See, he's inviting us. He's engaging with our doubt. See, I think we are called as Christians to doubt faithfully. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Doubt faithfully. But I think that's what we're called to, to doubt faithfully. And part of doubting faithfully is just showing up. 
just showing up, being faithful even when we have questions. Reading the Bible even when we're, we're not sure we believe all the words in it. Praying when we're not quite sure if anyone's listening to those prayers. Showing up in worship on those Sundays that we're just not feeling it and we're wondering if it's all a sham. That, that there's something in showing up and in being faithful even in the midst of doubt that leads us through the tunnel to a stronger, more deeper faith. John Wesley went through a time of doubt. Um, uh, you know, he has his famous um, Aldersgate experience in which he feels his heart strangely warmed. But in the years before that, he was very troubled. He had gone to, uh, to, to preach to the natives in, in Savannah, Georgia, and, um, and it was a disaster. He winds up being kicked out of Georgia. You know how bad things have to be be kicked out of Georgia? I mean, come on, right? But John Wesley is kicked out of Georgia. He's sent back across the ocean. And he writes in his, he writes in his journal, I came to America to, to convert the natives, but oh, who will convert me? And, w- and while he's on that, uh, that, that voyage back to England, there's a big, uh, there's a big storm on his boat. And, and John Wesley is afraid for his life, and he's cowering in the corner. And there's these other Christians on the boat, and, and they're all standing and smiling and singing hymns through the storm. John Wesley is troubled. He realizes they have something he doesn't that they have this assurance of salvation that he's not experienced yet. And so when he gets back to England, um, he befriends um, uh, this man named Peter Bowler. And Peter Bowler is an older Christian that, that brings John Wesley eventually back to faith. And, and John Wesley, like us, he was so, um, he had all these questions, but he also had all this anxiety built up around these questions. After all, he was an Anglican priest, a preacher. And some mornings he just felt like a fraud. And so one day he goes to Peter Bowler and he's ready to hang it up. He says, you know, what do I, uh, who have no faith, what can I preach to these people? And Peter Bowler tells John Wesley something very wise. He says, preach faith until you have faith. And then you will preach faith because you have faith. In other words, show up. Show up. Go through the motions. We talk about that like it's a bad thing sometimes, right? They're just going through the motions on Sunday. Don't have the spirit guide in their heart, right? Just going through the motions. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to go through them all the time throughout your whole life, but there are some seasons, yeah, show up, go through the motions. Go through the motions. When you're not feeling it in your heart, show up anyway. Sing the songs. Preach faith till you have faith. Because there's something in going through those motions. There's something in going forward in faith 
that you'll come out the other side of that tunnel. And when we do that, when we do that, we experience greater intimacy with Christ. Think about this for just a second. Only the doubters get to feel Jesus' hands and feet. The other one standing in the corner saying, I know, I believe. They're going to experience that intimacy. But those that are honest with their questions, that bring their fish forward, they get to make it to the next step. They get to go to the next phase of deeper intimacy, of greater understanding. We act sometimes like, 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 like Jesus is broken by our doubts somehow. Like he's Tinkerbell. Remember Tinkerbell? Tinkerbell is like dying on the floor and in order to get Tinkerbell off the floor, everyone in the audience has to clap and say, I believe in fairies. And then Tinkerbell will come back up. Jesus doesn't need your faith to exist. He just exists. He is not an illusion to be maintained at all times. He's a reality to be experienced. And that reality is greater than anything we can understand. So yes, we're going to have questions. Trying to understand God is like trying, with our wrinkly little monkey brains, it's like trying to, to, to contain Niagara Falls in a Dixie cup. We can't do it. We're going to have questions. We're going to have doubts. That's how we know he's real and not something we just made up. We're certain about things we make up. But being in the presence of mystery brings all of these questions and anxieties. But Jesus is big enough to hold them. And he welcomes them and he says, bring me your fish. We were packing boxes yesterday, I know, sad. And I came across this little tennis ball with the word soul written on it. And it brought um, all of these memories back to me because um, uh, we used to use this in youth group. You know, some Sundays when I hadn't planned a lesson all the way or, uh, or maybe there was only just a couple people and I wanted to kind of um, have a deep conversation, we'd get out the soul ball. And the way the soul ball worked is, um, is, is that you could pass it and then you could ask, ask someone like a soul question like a deep, how is your faith kind of question. And then they would have to answer it. But once they answered it, they could throw it to someone else. And, and then they had to answer the soul question. And it's kind of a way to get conversation going. And I was looking at this and I remembered one Sunday um, passing the soul ball to this uh, girl in our youth group who was really struggling with her faith. Um, she was having a lot of doubts and a lot of anxieties, and I could just, I could just pick it up on her. Now, you think no one in your church knows, but we can just pick it up on you. We can sense that you're struggling. And so I passed her the soul ball, and she got it, and I said, how's your faith doing? She just kind of looks up at me flippantly, you know, kind of the way teenage girls can do, and, and she says, well, fine, I guess. I'm here, aren't I? I don't think she meant anything like super-duper deep by that, but it hit me on a deep level. 
I'm here, aren't I? I showed up, didn't I? Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you've only got a little pinch of it. You've only got a little bit of faith, just a little, and you're just afraid it'll blow off, right? You just only got a little bit of this faith. But if you have just the faith of a mustard seed, it can move mountains for you. So if this is all you've got, show up with it. Show up with it. Because that's what Jesus wants. He says, come, touch me, feel me, see I'm not an illusion. I'm not a ghost, a vapor, an apparition. I'm real and I'm inviting you to hug me, to invade my bodily autonomy, to pass through the tunnel and have a deeper faith. So that's what I'm inviting you all to do this morning. We're going, to sing, um, we're going to sing a song together here in a minute. And I'm going to pass out fish. Because I want you to bring Jesus your fish this week. All right? I want you to bring him your questions, your doubts, the things that you're thinking about. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is to take this fish home. It's not for me. You're going to have to bring it back. This isn't homework. But take your fish home. And I want you to um, write your question on it, the one that's burning on your heart. Maybe it's theological. Do you exist? Maybe it's biblical. That resurrection thing doesn't make sense. How about the Trinity? You know, maybe it's personal. Do you really, really know Baxi's love me? Whatever your question is, I invite you to write it on your fish this week and stick it in your Bible so that you won't ignore it. You won't stifle it. You'll open up your Bible and you'll see it and you'll say, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to connect with Jesus about this this week. I'm going to draw close to him. Or, or, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to someone wise I know and, and ask them about this. Or maybe they'll give me some guidance. I'm going to look for scriptures that, that, that answer this question. I'm not going to be afraid of this. Write it down. Stick it in your Bible. And engage with those doubts this week. Doubt faithfully. I can't promise if you do that, then at the end of the week, you'll have all the answers. In fact, that probably won't happen. But I can say this. If you do this, if you real, really wrestle with those questions, if you take them to Jesus, then at the end of the week, you'll have deeper understanding. And you'll have greater intimacy with Jesus than you did when you started. That part is my guarantee. If we go forward, we will pass through the tunnel. And isn't deeper intimacy with Jesus isn't that what we came here for anyway? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.